out of 1 Corinthians 14, first verse one. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 31. Oh, I see everyone with their Bibles open. Yes. I'm reading off my phone. Um, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. How is everybody this morning? Good? Fifth Sunday, family day, we'll have little babies and little toddlers and all sorts of noises, which is a, just a reminder that we are to repent of our adulthood as Christians and live as children. They are sermons unto our souls. And so we are in a series uh, deep diving our values as a community, our core values that really drive everything that we do here as a church. Simplicity, stillness, and spirit. And we're spending many, many weeks studying the Holy Spirit. And so we have covered quite a bit of ground already, a theology of the Holy Spirit, essentially teaching that he is the God who dwells amongst us and in our midst, seeking to bring order to our souls and to creation. We've talked about how he is the God who animates his people with gifts. And then we got last week into the very non-controversial topic of tongues, and we've been talking about tongues. I trust that all of you in your community groups got it all figured out, that everybody was speaking in tongues, that there was perfect interpretation, that it all made sense, that everybody was like, this, this gift totally makes sense. This is, yeah, the gift of tongues. It's such an obvious thing. We're moving on from tongues now. And for the next Sundays, two Sundays, today and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the gift of prophecy. Ooh, prophecy. Ooh. So we're going to try to demystify the gift of prophecy, and we're going to talk about what Paul meant by prophecy in the New Testament communities. Today is full lecture and communion. Next Sunday, friends, don't miss it. It's basics, and it's a workshop. We are going to practice prophesying one unto another. I know some of you right now are squirming. How weird is it going to get in here? I know some of us are like, yes, I'm ready. I've got my flag, my tambourine. I'm ready to prophesy. Next week is a full workshop. We're going to do some training on how we at Neighbors practice prophecy, how we do listening prayer one for another, and what Paul means by that. So I'm really stoked on these two weeks. And then we're going to conclude this series by bringing in our first church planter, he's going to be sharing about how the Holy Spirit multiplies communities, how we are a people of hospitality, a people of evangelism, a people of mission. Everybody on board? Ready to rock and roll? Let's all take a deep breath into our bellies and get settled here as we prepare to listen to the Lord's word. Father, as we breathe, we are reminded that Adam and Eve, their first conscious experience was to breathe. You animated them by ruach, by spirit. And so this morning, animate your church. And it's true. There is a holy disruption happening within society, Father, in these days. 
Some come this morning, their souls disrupted. Chaos, sickness, concern, anxiety, depression. Social splintering, uncertainty, war, fiscal collapse. There's a great shaking, and we are so grateful to you, King Jesus, for shaking us. As one word was given this morning, for evaporating our will. We come to the end of ourselves today. May we prophesy one unto another the great truths of Jesus Christ, the resurrected King of the universe. And all of God's people said, amen. When you folks think of coming to church on Sunday morning, what motivates you to come here? Why did you come here this morning? Think about what motivated you to come to a gathering in modern San Diego, a bunch of urbanites, rationalists, well-trained. What draws us to come and sit in an elementary school and listen to the Bible being taught and take communion? Why? Why? Why do we do that? And the reason is because we seek solace for our souls. We need something to build us up. Every single one of us this morning needs some word given to us where we find ourselves saying, wow, that helped. (laughs) Whoa, that brought some ease to the tension. Ah, that brought some calm to the chaos. Ooh, that brought some peace to the pain. That's why every single one of us came here this morning. We came to be built up, encouraged, Edified is the old English word for that. And that's a good thing, friends. We should come to these gatherings expecting a word from the Lord, comfort and correction for our souls. But can you imagine with me for just a moment if your primary motive, your primary motive for coming to the gathering this morning wasn't to receive, but was to give? Not that we diminish the need for all of us to receive something today. We all long for and need that healing word, that corrective word, that calming word, that peace-giving word. But can you imagine if that was a secondary slice of the pie and the first motivation we had was we awoke this morning and the first thing we said to ourselves is, I'm going to neighbor's church this morning because God has given me a word for this person. God has given me a song to be sung over this person. God has given me an impression that this person needs prayer. God wants to give through me comfort and correction to another person at the gathering today. This is how our first century brothers and sisters existed in the church. The first century church really did not have a category for coming to a gathering to listen to one or two particular gift sets, receive, take communion, and go home. For them, they would have been like, wait, what? That was... You listened to one guy talk and you sat there passively the entire time. That was church? They had no category for that. Because for the first century brothers and sisters, when they awoke in the mornings, they said, we go to gather and the Spirit's going to animate us together as a collective community and each and every single one of us have a gift, have a word, have a hymn, have a revelation. Each of us have something that we are to say one unto another to give to them the comfort and the correction that we all long for. Now, it is a long and very important historical story how we arrived at doing church the way we do church now here in the West, especially post-Reformation. But when we think about the first century, when we think about the church in Corinth, they came together with this full expectation and hope of being animated to build each other up. To which, of course, most of us, I hope you'd be saying right now, like, wow, that sounds great. Wow, give me some more of that. Let's go back to, as is so often the mantra in the church, let's go back to being like the first century church. 
Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought that? Listen, we have to be brutally honest with the first century church. It was a blessed mess. In fact, folks, we have the New Testament because it was such a mess. Probably 50% of Paul's writings are him writing to churches saying, hey, get the chaos under control. Hey, false teaching. No, no, no. Uh, don't, uh, no, wrong. Don't say that. Say this. No, don't act that way. Act this way. We have the New Testament because Paul was trying to correct the chaos of a church that was so animated by the Spirit that it was going off. And so we, as late Western moderns, need to find the pendulum swinging in balance. Not so static, not so controlled, not so just come, sit, receive, but leaning more into how do I come to a gathering? How do I come to be with God's people in a way where they will be blessed by me, but also staying within order? And that is exactly what Paul is exhorting these people to do. Notice again, verse 26, 1 Corinthians. You guys can put it up on the screens. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? Here's how we should be thinking on Sunday mornings when you come to community group. And by the way, also when you go to work, when you go into your classrooms, you should be thinking this way as animated Christians by the Spirit. What shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, when you go to work, when you're in your classrooms, when you're at community group, when you're at Sunday morning, each of you should have a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, but everything must be done in the church so that people will be built up. And so the first century church, particularly in Corinth, as we discussed last week, had elevated this mysterious gift of tongues to a place that Paul did not want it. Of course, tongues is weird. And so people are going to fixate on tongues. And people would assume that the tongue speaker was more spiritual than the rest because obviously they're speaking a language that they don't know. It's like magic, man. And Paul was saying, you have elevated this gift of tongues to a place that it shouldn't be, and you've diminished particular gifts that actually benefit the whole body. When a tongue speaker is speaking in tongues, nobody knows what he's saying. But when a prophet speaks, God's people and unbelievers will say, God is surely among you. And so Paul lifts up, he puts at the epicenter of the communities gathered, this gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. Paul loved that the Corinthians were gathering to use their gifts, but he wanted people to eagerly desire their gifts to be used in such a way as to build up the other. What would be the most beneficial for all? And so his intention was, we will all desire the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 4, it'll be up on the screens for you, where he says, follow the way of love. I wake up in the morning, I want to go love my brother and sister. I want to go love my classroom. I want to love my professor. I want to love my boss. I want to love my coworkers. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. And then Paul says, especially prophecy. And then he gives these details. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging, for their comforting. And so Paul was asking the Corinthian church to make prophecy the, the precedent, to make it priority within their public gatherings. And this would serve the means of building one another up. Now, let me address the elephant in the room. <laughs> uh, as late Western moderns, as urbanites sitting here in modern San Diego, um, we're probably a little bit uncomfortable with Paul's prominence of prophecy in the public gatherings. When I say the word prophet, at the very least, most of us kind of raise one eyebrow with a little bit of skepticism. Prophet. Uh, I, mean, I think maybe some of us begin to think of uh, a whole bunch of questions, concerns. 
And what we need to do this morning before we get to our workshop next week is we need to demystify or we need to de-weird prophecy. Because when you and I hear the word prophet or prophecy, we immediately begin to think of imprecise like future casters or fortune tellers. We think of like $20 a minute psychic hotlines. We think of those annoying doomsday sayers out there with their megaphones and their placards on the sidewalks. They've done so much damage to the church and the gift of prophecy. While it's a bit difficult for us as moderns to do this, I'm going to ask you to just set that baggage aside for a moment. That imagery of $20 an hour psychic hotlines and placards and megaphones and fringe characters. And I'm going to ask that we try to normalize this gift because the gift of prophecy in the New Testament looks nothing like what we think it is. And what we're going to see over the next two weeks is that the gift of prophecy is given to each as we open ourselves by faith And the gift is no different than sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody and being sensitive to what the Spirit is doing in their souls in the moment and speaking scriptures and truth to them. That's the foundation. Everybody tracking with that? You guys want to deep dive some Old Testament stuff here for a bit? Get super nerdy? Oh, you guys are a great church. Let's do it. Old Testament. Let's go to the Old Testament and let's build out our picture of prophets by looking at the Old Testament. The Old Testament, I'm going to talk really fast to get through this section, so everybody take notes. The Old Testament prophets, they spoke the direct words of God unto the people. That is key. They spoke like a conduit directly from God to the people. The Old Testament prophets were comprised of both, this may surprise some, both men and women. In fact, there were prophetic guilds in the days of the kings. There were literal schools that would train the prophets how to listen to God and speak to the people of God. And so a little less than one-third of your Old Testament this morning is made up of the messages of what we call the three major prophets and the 12 minor prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Obadiah, those books that nobody ever reads in the modern church. As followers of Jesus, it, it, it... it may behoove us, it may bless us and benefit us to realize that when Jesus read the Old Testament prophets and when he thought of prophecy, he didn't think of fringe characters. He thought of authoritative, trustworthy words from his father that would correct and comfort him and his people. If Jesus trusted the prophets, then we can start there ourselves. So alongside the written prophets, the three that we have in our Bibles, the three major prophets and the 12 minor prophets, The Old Testament has a whole host of named and unnamed prophetic characters. Moses is called a prophet, Elijah, Elisha. There are five women who are literally called prophets within the Old Testament texts. Miriam, Deborah, Huldah, Noadiah, Isaiah's wife. She's simply called the prophetess. For all you Bible trivia people next time that you're playing Bible trivia, you're going to win with that for sure. Of course... Just like today, in the Old Testament, there were prophets that were not true prophets. There were the psychic hotline prophets. There were the tell-me-what-I-want-to-hear people, and they claimed to be prophets of God. And there were very specific tests laid out in Torah, in particular, the first five books of the Bible, to discern if a prophet was truly from God. The two primary tests were, number one, did what they say actually come true? And number two, did what they say align with God's word as revealed in Torah? That's key for us this morning. Did what they say align with what God had already said in his revealed word? Everybody tracking with this? Now, the prophets, when they actually spoke, we tend to think of just uh, uh, somebody standing up and, you know, maybe the placard guy, maybe the megaphone guy. But the prophets, they used all sorts of means for their messages. They used preaching. They used teaching. They used writing. 
Ezekiel was an actor. He would symbolize and do these bizarre acts. Isaiah actually got naked for a while to symbolize what was going to happen to the people of Israel. None of you can do that on a Sunday morning ever. They would act, they would use symbols, they would use sculptures, they would use art, they would use dreams, they would use visions, they would use music. David talks about prophesying with instruments. I don't know how many of you have ever been just listening to Joshua and his musical prophetic ability. Even this morning, the guy didn't even sing, and as Ali's vocal is incorporated into the prophetic note pieces as Joshua just hits the note just right, that spot right there where next you know the tears coming out of your eye, that whole thing. It's prophetic unction in music. Now, on the whole, the prophets revealed God's will to, in two overlapping ways. Number one, prediction, and number one, and number two, excuse me, admonition. Prediction and admonition. What do we mean by that? The Old Testament prophets indeed predicted future events. But we're not talking like fortune cookie events here, guys. The Old Testament prophets, they were forecasting cataclysmic, global, cosmic events in detail in many cases. So the prophets, they would, they would detail out, Israel, if you don't turn from this, Assyria is coming and they are going to bust you up. And their prophecy of future judgment was designed to admonish the people of Israel to turn from their sin. Then we have the latter prophets, particularly like Isaiah chapter 40 through 65, 66, I forget how many chapters there are. The latter half of Isaiah is all future casting this future well-being in the world. And so the prophets would come and they would say, turn, judgment is coming. And then when judgment would come, the prophets would come and say, be at rest, be still. God is going to heal. God is going to make right all that is in the world. There were three primary goals of the Old Testament prophets. To bring God's people to repentance, to renew God's people and their trust or their comfort in God, and to call God's people towards or away from specific action. Now, dial in here because we're going to get to the New Testament. The Old Testament prophets, they were heralds of warning and correction. They were truth tellers in ages of lies. They brought clarity to the confusion in their cultures. They called people back to God and his ways and away from the world. But they were also pastoral. They admonished the people to steady on, to stay strong, to always have hope, to look forward to the day when God would bring heaven to earth. And so when we distill down the prophet's general work, what they did in the world, we discover that we, the church, are called to the exact same thing. If you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard me say the church exists as a pastoral presence in the world and a prophetic presence in the world. We are the modern-day guild of prophets. The Spirit has been poured out because one of the promises that the Old Testament promises, prophets gave was that one day the Holy Spirit would not only be poured out on a select few people, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Elijah, Huldah, but on all of God's people. There's this obscure little story in the book of Numbers where Moses is prophesying, and the spirit that is upon him comes upon his 70 elders, and his young protege, Joshua, is upset about it. We read in Numbers chapter 11, verses 28 to 29, it'll be up on the screen, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, because all these guys were prophesying, he says, Moses, my Lord, stop them, and listen to Moses' reply, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. It was this little tiny 
parting of the curtain to God's future plans for all of his people. Hundreds of years later, God would promise through the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 29, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. More on dreams and visions at some point in the life of this church. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days. Those days are now, right here in Adams Elementary 2022. The Spirit of God has been poured out upon you. You are the pastoral and the prophetic presence in your workplace, in your family, in your circle of friends, and in this community. And so we wake up on Sunday morning, I need calm in the chaos. I need peace to be given. Father, what word would you give to my friend that I'll be sitting next to today? How might you lead me to pray over or pray for the person that I'm going to be with today? What image might you bring to my mind that might speak to the person in front of me that I might bless them, build them up, edify them? God, how am I to interact with this professor? Lord, what might you have me say to this coworker? Father, in this time of coffee with my dear friend who's hurting, how might I be sensitive to their needs? Spirit, what might you say? This is the context of New Testament prophecy. And so in every way, you and I exist now as the truth sayers in the midst of the lies. We are the ones that bring clarity to all of the confusion. We are the modern-day guild of prophets. And like the Old Testament prophets... You and I, our messages and our mediums are very, very diverse. Our medium, the medium through which our message comes, is according to our personality and our gift sets and our skill sets. And so some of us preach, some of us teach, some of us write, some of us act. Some of us use symbols and sculpture and art. Some of us have dreams and visions. Some of us use music. There is a significant shift, though, from the Old Testament gift of prophecy to the New Testament. Theological neatniks, leaning in easing up some of the tension in the room for you because you know where I'm going with this. On the whole, New Testament prophecy experienced by the early church, it seemed to be less directed and less particular. It was more what many scholars simply call divinely inspired speech. Divinely inspired speech. What do they mean by that? Well, my take on it is this, and this is genuinely just my take. As the people of God, when we are sensitive to situations, social situations, wherever we find ourselves, the Holy Spirit is present in that moment. And he wants to, through you, bring to your mind scriptures, words, thoughts, impressions. He wants to pastor through you. He wants to prophetically calm and correct and build up through you. He wants to take care of the person in front of you by this gift of words spoken that are understood. And this, as I've said, it can take place in the classrooms and church and workplaces. The key differentiation, though, is that you're not writing scripture. (laughs) Here's the key differentiation. And we're going to get more into the detail of this next week. So just, I realize this teaching is going to raise about a billion questions, which we will get to next week. Please be patient. New Testament prophecy can be mistaken. It's, it's squishier. It's less, it's not speaking the direct words of God. It's speaking in partnership with God. And I can prove to you from the New Testament that this is how it worked from the book of Acts itself. More on that next week. I'll walk you guys through stories of the New Testament where New Testament prophecy was mistaken. It was off a little bit. It was just 
a little bit janky. The difference between Old Testament prophets, particularly the written prophets, is they were writing scripture. And the key difference between you and I is that the, there were specific prophets of the New Testament. We call them capital A apostles. They were writing scriptures. Did they know they were writing scriptures? That's debatable. It's debatable. We don't know if Paul actually understood that he was writing the Bible and that 2,000 years later we were going to be sitting in San Diego and he's like, 2,000 years later, a bunch of people are going to be writing, reading my letters. We don't know if he knew that. What we know is that a select few people, the apostles who wrote what became the canon of Scripture, they were writing authoritatively in the Scripture, but the New Testament gift of prophecy is much looser than that. We aren't speaking, thus saith the Lord. In fact, if you ever meet somebody in the New Testament community who says, thus saith the Lord, Run. I'm, I'm being, so much damage has been done to the community of faith by false prophets who declare to be speaking exactly the words of God as if they bear all the authority of God rather than just demystifying this and not making it some self-glorifying thing and making it a moment of the Holy Spirit wants to speak through me and to me for the well-being of this person. I read the Bible. I'm wise. I have words that I might speak. I have experience. That is where we rest in the context of New Testament prophecy. Now, I realize if you're like me, you're sitting there saying, well, Dan, I memorized those Bible verses, and so isn't that just the synopsis in my brain bringing back those memories of verses? Yes, and the Holy Spirit's in that. Well, Dan, I've got a bunch of experiences, and so that gives me wisdom. Isn't it just my experience and my brain and my body and my history and my awareness of, of how life unfolds that's speaking to this person? Yes, and the Holy Spirit's in that too. We so want to divorce this. We so want to get to, when is it the Holy Spirit? And when is it me? And we so want our eyes to roll back in our head. I feel the presence of God and I have a word for you. And that's prophecy. And then we're just having a cup of coffee and we tell somebody, you know what? Jesus really, really loves you. And he's got this under control. That's just us speaking to them. But the Holy Spirit was just in what I just said, just as much as somebody, and if their eyes are rolling back in their head, run from them too. <laughs> Let's wrap this lecture up this morning with this, some clear stuff from Paul about the New Testament gift of prophecy. And I, I know I've said this many times, but it's so important. You guys are going to really miss out if you don't come next week. If you guys would give me five hours on a Sunday morning, we would just sit here all day, and I would lecture, and then we would practice, and then lecture and practice, but we can't do that. So next week, we will get to this. But for, for today, here's what Paul says specifically for the Corinthians and for us, how we think of New Testament prophecy. Number one, and this will be up on the screen for you, Prophecy is a gift that all Christians should seek from God, and it is not reserved for a particular group of Christians. The construction here in, in the Greek is, it's not explicit, but it's, it's manageable in this interpretation. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. When you show up on Sunday morning, I desire you, Holy Spirit, animate me today for my friends. Give me something to say. Give me a word. Give me a prayer. Give me an idea. Give me an impression. When I go to work, when I'm in my classroom, I desire you to animate me today, especially give me words that the other human can understand that will penetrate through the chaos, bringing calm or correction, building them up, forecasting a future. If you don't turn from this, it could be bad. But I promise you, God wants to make it good, and good is coming. That's prophetic unction. We should all desire that every single day when we awake. And it's not weird, no eyes rolling back in the head. It is normal, demystified, radical animation of the church, the prophetic modern guild of the people of God. It's beautiful. 
It's what I've been praying for for 20 years for each of you right now to be like, oh, this isn't weird. I'm kind of stoked on this. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to see what might happen if I think about going to my classrooms these ways, my workplaces these ways. Sometimes, as we'll see next week, it's amazing to me that the, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament will be used almost accidentally. I can't tell you how many times somebody has been talking to me and they've just been, they have no clue. They have no clue that what they're saying. And they may be speaking about something random from their life. And it, the Holy Spirit takes it and plants it deep in my guts where I'm like, I think God is speaking to me. What I'm trying to get you guys to see here is that this gift is dynamic. It flows through the body of Christ all for our building up. Number two, the function of prophecy is always building up exhortation and comforting. The function, the actual function, is to build up the other. It's to exhort. It's to comfort. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. I'm, I've got a working thesis right now for the Christian community. And I, and I say this with a, a very gentle hand and my own wounded heart transparently before you. I have a therapist. I love my therapist. I have spiritual directors. I got a whole host of mentors to whom I bawl my eyes out with and talk about my daddy wounds and all, all of it, all of that. I got all of that. But when it comes down to it, the cultural mantra for self-care is to look inward and to constantly focus on what is inside. Whereas the communities of Jesus, the means of self-care is to look outward <laughs> to build up the other. This is a difficult step for all of us, especially for somebody like me that may border on narcissism sometimes. To, to actually think, I may care for my soul in such a way that this morning, if I make my priority to give to somebody something out of myself, to build them up, that may be the means by which I finally experience a brief moment of reprieve from the angst, from the chaos, from the, from the wounding in my own life. And it's a back and forth, friends. I am not diminishing the need to look internally. I, of all people, am not diminishing the need for mentors and therapy and working through you know, the chaos that is our emotional well-being and unwell-being. But as you go forth, you should wake up tomorrow morning saying, the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen somebody through me today, in my classroom, in my workplace. You should wake up, stand up and raise your hands. I am a prophet of God <laughs> going forth into my world. To I don't know why I'm speaking that way, but don't do that. Just be like, I'm going to go to work now, and I think God wants to strengthen me, and God wants to strengthen somebody through me. This is, I'm, this is what Paul was talking about when the New Testament community begins to grasp what the gift of prophecy is. When we come together on Sunday morning, what had happened in the first century churches, particularly Corinth, which was a total frat party of a church, but was totally alive, they would show up, and everybody, so we're sitting in a group like this, there's 100 people in here or whatever, and everybody shows up, and I'm done teaching, and then next thing you know, you've got a word. You've got a hymn. Somebody's busting off in tongues back in the corner. Hey, I got tongues right over here. And then somebody over here is like, no, no, I got the interpretation. No, nope, wrong interpretation. I got the interpretation. It's just chaos. And then unbelievers are walking into the madhouse going, uh, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Always done in order. And so next week, we will do the practice of prophecy, particularly how we do it in our community groups. But what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29 is, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. That weighing what is said, that right there is how we know that New Testament prophecy was fallible. 
Why would Paul say to the people of God, weigh what the prophet says if it wasn't infallible? Wait, if it was fallible. I don't, wait, double negatives, which? Fallible, if it was fallible, thank you. Not enough coffee this morning. Paul says we're to weigh it. And what he meant by that in the New Testament community was when somebody would stand up and say, hey, I've got a word for you, the person receiving it and anybody listening would have to say, does this align with what Jesus already said? Does this align with the apostles' doctrine? What the apostles have been teaching as they've been planting churches throughout Asia Minor. For us, because we have the close of canon, which is an entire six-month series on how we got the Bible that we have, but because we have the apostles' doctrine in canon, anytime somebody gives you a word, the next thing you should do is be like, where do I have that sort of parallel in Scripture? Where does that line up with what the overarching meta narrative of Scripture says? Sometimes it can be full on, where's chapter and verse? We weigh what is said because New Testament prophecy can be fallible. And we want to guard doctrine, we want to guard right teaching. The next week we'll see that it can also be a little bit off in how you may be directed by it or how the person may think you should be directed by it. And then finally, New Testament prophecy, again, is so normal. You're not losing control of yourself. Verses 30 through 33. If a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. What Paul is saying there is, if you get into a situation where somebody is acting without self-control, a primary fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So we're 30 minutes in. Kids are just doing incredible, you guys. Man, just the babies. I love them. I want more of them. <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap it there, and, and I, I really am going gonna to punt to next week because next week we'll, we'll do maybe a little Q&A up front. I'll do a little minimal lecture on how we understand New Testament prophecy from the book of Acts, which is not prescribing how to do it. It's just describing what was happening in the church. Um, and we're actually going to practice it next week. But for this morning, communion. Communion.